Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I knew you'd be back, friend. Welcome to Season 6, and welcome to March, the most popular month of the year for vasectomies. See, if you're into basketball, it's a great time to sit on the couch with a cold beer on your lap. It's true, Chester. I learned it on the internet. In any case, if you're planning to take a knife to your nuts during the Ides of March, you sure got some balls. Well, they can't all be zingers. Let's head on in, friend. Mmm. That's better. So tonight, we've got something special for you. A brand new, unpublished story from the well-known and well-mined author T.W. Grimm. So smoke them if you got them and drink those glasses to the bottom. Cause old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. But first... Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's dark tip. What's going on in here? Can you hit the, hit the button? Oh! What the? Jeff? Jeff! Can you hear me, amigo? Jeff? Oh, shit. Well, what Jeff was going to tell y'all is that Drew Blood's Dark Tales is just one of many great podcasts we have here on the network. There's Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill, all available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you'll get the entire catalog, ad-free and available for download or stream. All right, there. Jeffrey, I told you to quit fucking around on that elevator. Now look at you. Rub a little dirt on it. Walk it off. Hey, speaking of BFMs, tonight's story takes us aboard a space mining ship where someone's about to make a celestial whoopsie-daisy. So without further delay, I give you, from author T.W. Grimm, The Cat That Destroyed the World.
Mission recruit Aldo happened to glance out the window port just in time to observe an escape module eject from a hatch on the starboard bow. A couple of erratic bursts from the thrusters changed its course in a sharp curve, sending it hurling past the window port at less than 50 yards. It was close enough for Aldo to get a good look at the occupant inside. He was horrified to see that it was bonkers, one of the six cats that served as rat control aboard the Lucy 13. The tabby was wildly flailing her legs and spinning like a top in the zero-gravity environment, her eyes as wide as saucers and her mouth gaping open in a silent yowl of terror. He whispered, Oh, shit! and ran for the nearest horn to call command deck. This was a BFM in the making. BFM was a universal acronym used throughout the space mining industry. It stood for Big Fucking Mess. Aldo called the starboard command deck and Chief Petty Officer Vardle answered with an impatient, What's your malfunction, missing recruit? You need me to come down there and show you how to push a mop? Aldo sputtered. Sir, an escape module just ejected from a hatch in Section K. There was a muttering of voices as Vardle told the deck crew to check on the status of the escape modules. He came back on the horn and grunted. That's affirmative. There was a pod ejection just over a minute ago. Hustle over to K right now and see what's happening. Aldo swallowed a lump of dread in his throat. Timidly, he said, Sir? Um... I made visual contact with the occupant inside the pod. It was, uh, well, it was one of the cats. He was answered with a long moment of incredulous silence, followed by, What the fuck? What in the almighty fuck did you just tell me, recruit? A fucking cat? How in hell? I really don't know, sir, Aldo answered in a pleading tone. I saw it happen through the window port. Uh, while I was swabbing the main corridor in Section J. She must have gotten in there somehow and launched it by accident. Vardal snorted. Somehow? The cat just somehow got through a locked door? Tell me something, recruit. Who is responsible for swabbing the floors in Section K? Aldo closed his eyes and sighed. Me? I'm responsible for Sections J, K, and L. Well, that means you're the only living soul down there with a key card. Unless maybe the cat had one too. Refresh my memory, recruit. Did we issue a key card to the fucking cats? No, sir, Aldo mumbled. I'm the only one down here with a card. I'm checking the entry log right now, Vardle said. And it looks like you opened the entrance to the escape modules about 45 minutes ago. You put the door on hold, and you left it on hold, you stupid son of a bitch! Aldo started to protest, but the chief petty officer interrupted him with a roar of pure, unadulterated fury. He bellowed, Tell me the pod launched away from the Delta Moon! Tell me the autopilot system didn't home in on Delta! Fucking please! Aldo grimaced and answered, The cat was freaking out! I think it must have hit the thrusters a few times. It changed course and, uh, yeah, the autopilot definitely locked in onto the Delta Moon. There was another dense block of silence on Vardal's end, and then he ordered Aldo to stay put and wait for security to escort him to the deck. Aldo closed his eyes again and answered, 
Yes, sir. I'll be right here. Vardal growled. Keep mopping, recruit. Finish that floor while you're waiting for the bot. The chief petty officer disconnected without another word, leaving the young mission recruit standing there with tears welling up in his eyes. He was in very deep shit. And if the escape pod landed on Delta, everyone was in deep shit, from the lowest recruit right up to the captain of the Lucy 13. The ministry would issue a massive fine to the North American mining concern. They might even revoke their contract, and then everyone aboard the Lucy 13 would find themselves out of a job. The ministry didn't mess around when it came to the Preservation Act. Heads were about to roll, and his own stupid melon would undoubtedly be the first on the chopping block. Aldo muttered, Fuck this job! And he started shoving the mop across the floor with sharp, bitter movements. I fucking hate this job! Delta was the fourth largest moon of the gas giant RVD-245. It was more commonly known in the space mining industry as the Golden Colossus, or Goldie for short. Goldie lay at the outer edge of a dead solar system. Its star had expanded into a red giant many millions of years ago, devouring most of its orbiting planets and boiling away the atmospheres from the rest of them. Out of the twelve planets, only the Golden Colossus had survived. When the red giant eventually collapsed into a white dwarf, it left eleven scorched rocks floating in the void, all of them rich in metal ores. It was the North American mining concern's wildest dream come true. Even Goldie's swarm of moons were all rich in precious metals and valuable elements. The entire solar system was a space miner's paradise. However, there was still one pocket of life to be found in this cosmic crypt, the Delta Moon. It was slightly larger than the planet Earth, big enough to have an active magnetosphere to protect it from the majority of Goldie's intense radiation. Delta's upper atmosphere was swirling with particulate matter from the intermittent eruptions of the volcanoes which smoldered away at its poles, creating a benign sort of greenhouse effect that allowed for both liquid water and complex forms of life. The Ministry had suspected as much for almost a century, but after it had been confirmed by a series of drone missions, the Delta Moon was given protected status under the Alien Preservation Act. After 900 years of humankind ruthlessly mining every planet, asteroid, and comet we could get our greedy hands on, the Preservation Act was put in place to protect alien ecosystems from human interference. Mining contracts could not legally be awarded by the Ministry until they had ascertained there would be no appreciable disruption to life. Until then, any outside interference would be met with crushing fines and the possibility of a lengthy sentence at a deep space penal colony. The penal colonies were notorious for being little pockets of hell in the void. Some of them weren't even equipped with artificial gravity, and cannibal riots were a fairly common occurrence in a few of the more remote institutions. The probability of being murdered in one of these colonies could run as high as 50%. Their very existence was a fairly effective deterrent against space piracy, unethical mining practices, and, of course, violations of the APA. The Ministry had discovered Delta's atmosphere was almost identical to planet Earth, 
which created quite a stir among the scientific community. The drone missions had painted a vivid picture of a rich and varied ecosystem, creating even more excitement. But the ministry still didn't know about the most exciting thing of all. The golden egg they had been chasing for centuries was right there, living beneath the thick canopy of the equatorial jungle. Delta was home to intelligent life. These diminutive creatures had descended from a bird-like ancestor, a flightless land dweller similar to an ostrich. They had fallen into an evolutionary path that saw them slowly shrink in stature, gradually developing appendages similar to arms along the way. Their plumage became an illustrious coat of fur that shimmered in breathtaking hues of blue, orange, and crimson, and their eyes evolved to make the most of the dim light beneath the canopy of the jungle. By the time the first ministry drone had entered Delta's atmosphere, the bird-like ancestors had fully evolved into an agrarian society of Stone Age humanoids. They called themselves the People, and very soon their kind would become extinct. Delta's last ice age had lasted almost 200,000 years, wiping out almost all of the land-dwelling fauna. Any species that was too large to retreat underground eventually perished in the frozen wastelands. The end result was a complete lack of larger carnivores. The people lived without fear of predation. This was a good thing because they were very, very small. They stood an average height of seven inches high, and they weighed roughly half a pound. Their villages were idyllic farming collectives, all of them working together to cultivate crops of mushrooms and tubers. Arguments were rare, and violence was a concept that simply did not exist. The Delta Moon skies were perpetually smudged by a dull fog of volcanic debris, so the people had no understanding of outer space, other worlds, or even the scope of their own planet. Life was easy in this land of plenty, so they had no incentive to ponder the future. There was only now, and then tomorrow, and then the day after that. With no weapons, defense mechanisms, or even the ability to think in terms of the future, the people were completely and utterly unprepared for what was about to descend upon them. The escape pod's autopilot system deftly guided it through the turbulent entrance into Delta's thick upper atmosphere. This was the most terrifying part of the journey for poor Bonkers, who mercifully blacked out during entry. She became conscious again while the module was floating down to the ground far below, bobbing and weaving beneath a giant parachute as the jungle canopy grew closer every second. There was another rough spot when the pod broke through the upper fronds and bashed its way to the ground, making her squeal and chever as she was flounced and jounced around the interior of the module. It finally thunked into the soft ground below, and the hatch popped open with a loud After that, all was quiet and still in the jungle once again. Eventually, a pink nose and tangle of whiskers appeared. The nose sniffed at the air and immediately sneezed. That brief little sniff had contained a startling array of scents, more scents than Bonkers had ever encountered throughout the duration of her life on a space freighter. She slithered out of the pod and immediately climbed into the lower fronds of a nearby tree, staring at her surroundings with her ears flattened against her skull. 
She could sense life all around her, life of all kinds in virtually every nook and cranny of the jungle. Was it dangerous? She backed herself against the massive trunk of the tree and continued sampling the warm, dusky air with her tail lashing around in agitation. She couldn't smell any predators, not yet anyway, but she did smell prey. Lots and lots of prey. Multitudes of creatures, both helpless and small. She cautiously scuttled back down and hunkered at the base of the tree, nostrils delicately flaring as she assessed her surroundings. Bonkers had somehow transitioned from following her favorite human around as he did his human things to this. Crouching low to the ground in an untouched wilderness that was literally crawling with life. Her simple little brain was nearly short-circuiting from the enormity of the change. Bonkers still couldn't sense any large carnivores nearby, but the scent of prey was almost overwhelming. She began to stalk her way through the undergrowth, eyes wide and wild as her biological imperatives took control. There were many things to hunt in this place, more than all the rats aboard all the freighter ships in the entire galaxy. She would find them and she would kill them all, because killing was what she was designed to do. Her gait became more confident with every step she took. At ten pounds, six ounces of limber ferocity, Bonkers was officially at the top of the Delta food chain. It was time to hunt. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Back on to Lucy 13, Captain Munez was listening with a deepening frown as Aldo recounted the events which led to Bonkers getting ejected from an escape hatch. He was still wrapped in the metallic grip of the security bot that had detained him down in Section J, and there was nothing in the captain's furious gaze that indicated he might be released anytime soon. One of her eye sockets was an ugly ring of scar tissue that housed a digital eye an unnerving device which gleamed the cold shade of blue. Aldo tried to concentrate on the captain's human eye while he was talking. The digital one made him want to squirm. Captain Munez patiently waited for his halt and stumbling story to finish. She folded her arms in front of her and said, Mission Recruit, you fucked up pretty bad today, didn't you? Aldo nodded the only movement he could accomplish in the security bot's coffin-like embrace. Yes, Captain Munez, he sniffed. Yes, I sure did. She nodded back and said, Good, then we agree on something. 
so it appears our missing pod landed near the equator on the eastern half of the globe. The hatch opened, so we can assume the cat got out and is still alive. No one's sure what kind of impact that's going to have on the ecosystem, but we can also assume that it won't be positive. Are we still in agreement? Yes, Captain. Aldo muttered quietly. Now, let me tell you something. She continued. Her voice was calm, but her electric eye was now blazing a furious shade of dark purple. We're all full of germs. You, me, Petty Officer Vardal over there, and even that fucking cat. We all have germs. Most of them can't hurt us, but there's a good chance they may be able to hurt something from another world. Agreed? Aldo nodded again. Munez nodded back and said, Good. So in summary, we could say that you, despite all the precautions we have in place to prevent this kind of thing from happening, you managed to release a murderous little bioweapon onto the surface of the Delta Moon. Are we still agreeing with each other, you incompetent shitlick little bastard of a mission recruit? His words barely audible. Aldo wheezed. Yes, but... but I... I can't goddamn well hear you, boy! And Aldo let out a yelp of pure terror. The young recruit blinked back his tears and weakly hollered. Yes, Captain. We are in agreement. Good. Now this is what we're going to do, okay? We're going to head back to the Goldie and lock into orbit around Delta. You and CPO Vardal are going to take a lander module down to the surface. You're going to find both the escape pod and the cat, and you're going to bring them back. I'll give you four hours to complete this mission. Vardal turned to her with a look of sharp dismay and sputtered. Captain, I'm not the one who left the door open. Why do I have to go down to the surface? This is his fault, not mine. You're piss poor at doing your job, that's why. Captain Munez snapped. The entrance to the escape modules was on hold for 45 minutes and you never thought to check it out? It's your command deck, Vardal. You're responsible for everything that happens under your command, good or bad. Why are you shirking your responsibilities? Bartle looked down at his shoes. The captain eyed him sourly and added, I've heard about you. No one likes you. And do you know why? Because a good CPO isn't a shitty little tyrant. A good CPO would never push the blame onto their crew. Bartle flushed a deep, ugly red. Captain Munez glared at him, silently daring him to say something. Anything at all. Aldo cleared his throat and croaked. I have a question, Captain. Ask away, recruit. Aldo licked his lips nervously and asked, What happens if we can't find the cat? The captain skewered him with her electric glare and shook her head. If you fail to apprehend the cat, I won't let you aboard the ship. I'll tell Norram you stole the escape pod after I caught you trying to pilfer the cargo hold. And that'll be the end of it. Vardal clenched his fists and barked. Are you crazy? You can't do that! She pointed at the inky blackness on the other side of a window port and sneered. I wouldn't bet on it. People disappear in the void all the time. No one's going to come looking for you. She ordered the bot to release Aldo and told the reluctant duo to get ready to launch. As the security bot escorted them out the door, Captain Munez called out. 
I'm not going to sink my entire career over a fucking cat. Do you understand me? Find the cat and find the pod, or you're not coming back. Bonkers made his first kill within minutes of setting off into the jungle. The victim was one of Delta's top predators, an inch-long rodent that hunted tube worms with its whip-like tail. Bonkers made short work of the former champ, then moved on to obliterate a nest of flightless birds that were distant relatives of the people. They could do nothing but scream in terror and die beneath her claws. She moved on once again, restlessly tracking hundreds of mingling scent trails, all of them rich with the promise of easy prey. It wasn't long before she encountered the first village, a collection of mud huts encircling a tiny fire pit. She was spotted by a villager who sounded the alarm with a high-pitched squeak that immediately drove the tabby into a murderous frenzy. She pounced on the tiny creature as he ran for his hut and bit off his head. The following 96 seconds were pure unadulterated chaos, and then it was over. Bonkers had killed everyone in the entire village, leaving a horrific mess of scattered bodies and mangled corpses in her wake. She followed a trail that led to a second village, and the scene played out once again. The trail was a common road built by the people to link scores of villages together, inadvertently giving the tabby a road map for mass murder. Bonkers killed and killed again, destroying villages and cramming her belly full of delectable alien innards well into the night. Eventually, she ran out of steam, and the marooned freighter cat abruptly realized that it was very dark and she was all alone. She mewled and cried for her humans to come rescue her. When no one came, she resigned herself to her fate and found a soft patch of moss to sleep on. The feline invader awoke just before dawn, momentarily confused and afraid in the dark. Bonker started meowing for her people again, but then she remembered the taste of blood. She was free to explore all the rich smells in the dark earth and lush vegetation, and she could hunt to her heart's content. Head scratches and kind words were nice, but killing was infinitely better. Right around the time Bonkers was engaging in a long and sultry morning stretch, the Lucy 13 locked into a tight orbit around Delta. A hatch opened on the port side of the massive freighter, releasing a tiny metallic speck into the void. It was a lander module. CPO Varda was at the controls and mission recruit Aldo was in the passenger seat. He was a mess of screaming nerves and fluttering stomach. He didn't like being outside the protective walls of the Lucy 13 one bit. Space was too dark, too vast, directionless and infinite. It made him feel wholly insignificant. The lander cruised its way down to Delta with Goldie looming in the background, a massive orb of racing clouds and unimaginably violent storms. CPO Vardal navigated their entry with a practiced hand. He looked over at Aldo's pale, sweating face and said, Better get used to it, recruit. You're going to be on surface duty for the next six months. I'll make sure of it. They honed in on the escape pod's rescue signal and landed nearby in a natural clearing. Although the atmosphere was breathable for earthlings, they both wore landing suits to protect the environment from their germs, as well as isolating themselves from the unknown microbes that dwelled on Delta's surface. 
The suits were heavy, cumbersome, and hot. With the temperature hovering at just over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, both men were soon covered in a film of greasy sweat. They wrestled the pod into a gravity sled and stowed it into the cargo hold of the lander. Sweating buckets beneath the rigid confines of his suit, Aldo gasped. How are we supposed to find a cat down here? You can't see more than ten feet away in this undergrowth. Vardle tapped the screen on the back of his gauntlet and said, The system can track the little shithead down in all kinds of ways. We'll find it, probably scared out of its mind and hiding somewhere. Look, we already got a hit. Let's go. They followed the cat's meandering path through the jungle, pushing through the unfamiliar vegetation with as much care as they could muster in the heat. They were both tired and more than a little traumatized by their encounter with the captain, who was rumored to have lost her eye while engaging in hand-to-hand combat with a band of marauding ore pirates. She was a tough old space dog who had a vested interest in protecting her ship, its cargo, and a good standing of the Noram mining concern in the eyes of the Ministry. She had no concern whatsoever for a low-ranking officer and his bumbling oaf of a mission recruit. Their future depended on finding the cat before their time was up, and the clock was ticking. The lander didn't have enough fuel to take them very far. They could either find the cat or be stranded on an alien world. Aldo and Vardle soon began to find dead creatures of various kinds on the ground, a wandering path of murder that gradually led to another clearing in the jungle. It was decided the first village to fall beneath the homicidal fury of Bonkers the Cat. They both froze and stared in slack-jawed dismay at the aftermath of the freighter cat's frenzied assault. Vardle leaned down to study a diminutive structure that had been deftly peeled open with sharp claws. He shook his head in wonder. There's furniture in here, he whispered. A little fire pit and everything. This is a house, Aldo. And that's a cultivated field over there. Look, you can see how that fungus is all lined up in rows. These things were intelligent. This is exactly what the ministry is looking for. Right here in... He trailed off, and the two men shared a look of pure horror. His voice trembling, Vardle said, We can't tell anyone, especially not the captain. She'd court-martial us right then and there. They'd launch us out of the airlock and use our bodies for target practice. Aldo squinted at his gauntlet and pointed to the far side of the village. He said, There's a little path over here that leads into the jungle. That's where she went. Vardle shook his head again at the crumpled bodies at his feet. He glared at Aldo and snarled. Come on, dickhead. Let's snatch this little fucker and get out of here. Shortly after the lander module had descended to Delta's surface, a Norim personnel carrier docked with the Lucy 13, which was promptly boarded by an armed company of Special Forces troops. They were led by Admiral Boswick, one of the top commanders in the Noram Security Division. The intruders swept their way across the ship in a surging wave of black fatigues and laser-guided carbines, sending people scattering for cover with the crashing echo of their jackbooted feet. They barged into the main command deck with no resistance from the guards, and Admiral Boswick immediately stormed over to glower down at Captain Munez. 
She greeted Boswick with narrowed eyes and put her fist to her heart in the Noram salute. To what do I owe the pleasure of your company, Admiral? Boswick growled. Let's get straight to the point, Captain. We intercepted a rescue signal from one of your escape modules. It's coming from the surface of Delta. What the hell is going on here? Munez hesitated, then calmly answered. There was a malfunction, sir. We're working to rectify the situation right now. The Admiral nodded his massive shaggy head in mock agreement and said, Well, I'm sure it's all under control then. No need to worry about the Protection Act. We'll just tell them we're working to rectify the situation, correct? Tell me, Captain, how exactly are we doing that? Please explain. She fought to keep her expression neutral and said, With the landing crew, sir. We're retrieving the pod and bringing it back as we speak. The Admiral looked her in the eye until Munez dropped her gaze. I have eyes everywhere, Captain. I already know what happened. This is a BFM of staggering proportions. I'm here to relieve you of your command. You're under arrest. Munez closed her eyes and grimaced. Softly, she said, You don't have to do that, Boswick. We can sweep this under the rug. It's already happening. The Admiral stared at her for a long, agonizing moment, and then a look of amusement slowly spread across his face. He flapped his hand at her and started to laugh. I'm fucking with you, Munez. I'm not going to do that. In fact, I want to thank you, because this fuck-up was the catalyst for a very important decision. Now, don't get me wrong, Captain. Noram isn't very happy with you right now. That's why I came in hot like this, but don't worry. It's all for show. This will blow over pretty soon. A few months of relaxing on a simulated beach and you'll be back at the helm again. Does that sound good? Cautiously, Munez asked, What are you talking about? The Admiral pointed down at Delta and said, Thorium. Noram funded a private study of their own, and they're about 99% sure there's enough thorium under the surface to power a million reactors. The only thing stopping us is the APA, but the Protection Act only regulates mining operations on living planets, not dead ones. Munez blinked up at him and murmured, What are you proposing, Admiral? I don't understand. The cat is just a bit of contamination, he said briskly. It's not good enough. We need total and complete annihilation. Say goodbye to your command chair and pack your bags. Because we're going to dump the Lucy 13. Faintly, Munez said, What? The hold is full of ore, Admiral. That's a huge loss for the mining concern. Boswick frowned and impatiently shook his head. Big fucking deal. No one cares about the ore in that cargo hold. It's a drop in the bucket compared to the riches down below. Initiate the evacuation procedure, Captain. Your crew can board my carrier. I expect everyone to be on board within 30 minutes, or they're going down with the Lucy 13. Understanding dawned across the captain's face. She blinked up at him and asked, What about the Ministry? There'll be an investigation. Boswick shushed her with a raised finger. They don't know it yet but the Ministry is on its way out. They're standing in the way of progress, and frankly, there are people in high places who are getting tired of it. 
There's money to be made out here. More money than you or I could possibly imagine. The bottom line is that we have to stop worrying about a bunch of alien tadpoles and get down to the business of mining. The Eurasian mining concern hasn't been regulated for decades now, so why aren't we doing the same? The Admiral leaned in closer and purred. By the time you get back from your vacation, the Ministry will no longer exist. It's the dawn of a new era in space mining, Captain. This is history in the making. He looked down at Delta again, a precious spark of life in the vast graveyard of space, and he turned off the video feed with a brisk stab of the finger. Progress, he said. There's nothing more beautiful than progress. Start the evacuation, Captain. We leave in half an hour. Vardal and Aldo found bonkers in the middle of another village massacre. She dropped a bloody corpse in her mouth and scampered up to her humans with unadulterated joy, expecting a shower of love and praise for a job well done. Instead, she was shoved into a cat carrier as the bird-like cries of the people rang through the air behind her. The surviving villagers scrambled to escape the horrifying giants who had stomped into their midst, abandoning the dead and dying to suffer their fate. Jesus Christ, what a clusterfuck, Aldo panted. Okay, let's get back to the lander. We don't have much time. CPO Vardal gave the young recruit a flat, merciless grin, and he flicked off the safety switch on his sidearm. He pointed it at Aldo and said, You know what? No. Not you, motherfucker. Aldo tried to run, but it was far too late. Vardal squeezed the trigger and Aldo collapsed onto the ground. His helmet now fused to his smoking cranium in a scorched, unrecognizable mess. Vardal kicked the body in the ribs, just for good measure, and he scooped up the cat carrier with shaking hands. He gasped beneath the weight of his suit as he hustled back to the lander. He arrived with only 15 minutes left to spare, exhausted and trembling from an overload of adrenaline. Vardal stumbled into the lander and wheezed. Fuck you. You're not leaving me behind. He initiated the lander's autopilot and hurried outside to clear away the undergrowth from the intake ports. While he was furiously tearing away a tangle of vines, the unthinkable happened. The lander closed its hatch and with a violent rumbling from its engines, it shot up straight into the sky. Varda was knocked to the ground with the force of the blast. The lander was gone within seconds, rapidly disappearing into the murky cloud cover high above. Vardal sat up and screamed, What the fuck? What the fuck just happened? The autopilot had chosen to blast off without warning, as it was programmed to do in the face of an immediate emergency. But why did that happen? What the hell was the emergency? Seconds later, Vardal heard it a thundering groan in the heavens above. He stared in disbelief as fiery projectiles began to rain from the sky. Vardal's breath caught in his throat. He knew what was about to happen. No. Oh my God, no! And then the flaming hole of the Lucy 13 was shoving through the cloud cover and a noise like thunder drowned out Vardal's hysterical screams. 
The ship was half a mile long, a quarter of a mile wide, and its cargo hold was full of metallic ore. It was also equipped with heavy munitions and a thorium power plant that generated an enormous amount of energy. It was the bomb to end all bombs, and the explosion was seen clear across the entire star cluster. Delta was swept by a raging tsunami of nuclear hellfire, and all that dwelled beneath the opaque veil of its skies was obliterated forever. Back on the personnel carrier, the first mate spun around in his chair and called out, Admiral, we have some company. Boswick and Munez studied the screen in disbelief. You gotta be kidding me, Boswick snapped. It's the lander from the Lucy 13. All right, let it dock. Let's see who survived. A tech called up from the dock and informed Boswick there was only one occupant in the lander, a cat. Boswick looked over at Munez and said, Well, it looks like Whiskers came home. The autopilot must have guided her to the closest ship. It's a good thing for Kitty we weren't in a hurry, or she would have run out of fuel trying to catch us. The poor thing will have to be quarantined for at least a month, Munez sighed. I feel sorry for the cat. She destroyed an entire world and it wasn't even her fault. Progress, Admiral Boswick rumbled. Nothing can stand in the way of progress. Just a few alien tadpoles, Munez said reflectively as she absently shook her head. I'll keep telling myself that. I guess I'll believe it soon enough. Progress, Boswick repeated, and he poured them both a stiff drink from the minibar. You can't stop it. Don't even try. Cheers, Munez. Here's to a new era. A new era, she agreed, and they both knocked back their drinks with a bitter grimace. Boswick put down his glass and quietly said, It doesn't matter if you like it or not. The galaxy is up for sale. And after humankind pillages it from end to end, we'll start on the next one. There is no turning back at this point. Not even if we wanted to. The only way to keep feeding the machine is to mine larger amounts of ore for the sole purpose of creating more machines. Stopping this cycle would spell the end of humanity. There's nothing that can be done except to keep bowling forward. It's a long distance race with no finish line. The end of the race is extinction, so the race can never end. Munez blinked away a sudden film of tears from her living eye. The other remained cold and dry shining a dim turquoise from the depths of her scar tissue. She poured herself another drink and muttered, I know that. I'm not stupid. That's the spirit, Boswick agreed. And they both drank in silence as Goldie receded in the background. A new era loomed on the horizon. Consume or be consumed was the sole directive of this brave new age in space exploration. All other tenants were meaningless, antiquated, and lost in the void. Mercy was not profitable. It was a dusty relic of the ancient past, buried in stardust and eulogized by the ghosts of our ancestors. Progress is the future, and the future is dark.
And that was The Cat That Destroyed the World by T.W. Grimm. A good reminder that our base instincts aren't that much different than our cats. Also, I wouldn't mind having one of those fancy beach simulation machines. A little about the author. T.W. Grimm lives in southwestern Ontario. He's the author of 99 Brief Scenes from the End of the World, Trippin' Over Twilight, available in audio by the way, When the Stars Fall, and most recently from Velox's books, A Different Kind of Magic, which he would love for you to check out. You can find T.W. Grimm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash T.W. Grimm author, and on Twitter, or whatever it's called, at T.W. Grimm underscore official. He's got a Patreon too, and that's patreon.com forward slash T.W. Grimm. Tell him Drew Blood sent you. Thanks, T.W. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend. And remember, the best way to prevent giant cats from landing on your planet is to deplete your natural resources as quickly as possible. Let's get on with it. Meanwhile, may the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. Good luck with the vasectomy, friend, but while you're waiting on that, go fuck yourself. Why you still can. <laughs> Good night, y'all. And say a few prayers for Jeff, will you? He's about three feet shorter than he was. That's gonna hurt his ego. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.